millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful patrons who voted for this to be our next episode. We get a lot of recommendations for the show, almost too many to prioritise, so we're giving you guys the option to dictate what we talk about. If you head over to our Patreon, you'll find a poll where you get to vote on who we cover. So, if you'd like more say on the direction of the show, consider supporting us on Patreon. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm good. Thanks, Ryan. The dark weather's here, so it's all a bit gloomy to start us on a depressing note. It's still muggy. Yeah, it's weird. It's hot but dark. I'm not a big fan of this time of year. I am hating it right now. I want it to get chilly again. I want to wear a hoodie all day and just be comfortable in it. I don't like being hot. I absolutely hate it. No, I, I'm with you. Yeah, it's just a it's sad time of the year when things get dark, and it's only going to get darker. It's, yeah, it, it does, unfortunately. And and we're getting into that sort of that Christmas phase. Uh, I, I noticed that uh, the radio station, the UK radio station Heart, launched their 24-hour Christmas channel yesterday. Already? It's the end of September. I know, they've already launched it, and I'm thinking, oh, God. And you know, do you know what? I tell you what, it's funny. I I find it funny when people get upset that Christmas is spoken about before Halloween. Oh, I couldn't give a fuck. I like Christmas stuff in the shops as well because the food's generally better. But oh, yeah. I also think if you're listening to non-stop Christmas songs at the end of September, you need to have a little bit of a word with yourself. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's fair. But yeah, I, I love people. They're like, oh, but we've not had Halloween yet. And it's like, oh, fuck off, you little goth. It's fine. Um, Halloween's I... so weird. I feel like Halloween's that thing. Obviously, in America, it's so different to how it is here. But it's, it's mm. like the edgy holiday, isn't it? Where people really want to like get in. It's like it's not that big of a deal. It's not. not. You don't. I feel like such a party pooper, but a fucking grow up. <laughs> yeah, although I do like Halloween because we get to have a little special on Halloween and just talk about something fucking absolutely horrific. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like going to like scary places as well. I used to go to the uh, Warwick Castle every year, do their Halloween stuff, which is usually quite good. I've been part of it a few times. Like it's it's exciting, but like if you are a grown person trick or treating without a child with you, that's you a are problem. A pedophile. <laughs> yeah, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, um, just alienate our listeners. Yeah, I I like going to Christmas when Lidl or Audi start. You know when little Audi starts selling like Stollen or like you know the classical yeah, German yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. gingerbread stuff, and you're like, that's the shit, man. Give me that yeah, marzipan. So, 
Lidl do this thing where like every week they'll have a different country themed week and like every few weeks or whatever it's Aspen week so it's like German and Austrian food and it's really really good mm. Mm. love that well let, let's just get on with the show because there's no way of trans there's no way of like fucking segue in that uh mother Teresa <laughs> loved Lidl yeah yeah she absolutely would have um now as I mentioned before at the top of the show uh this is a this is a patreon back show so um as some of you may be aware we we have a patreon we made a really lovely video about that and uh, so <laughs> go watch it if you haven't seen it um yeah this show is backed by patreon so if you head over to patreon uh, there will be a poll in fact there's a new poll out right now uh where if you are a backer of our patreon no matter what tier you are in you get to select and vote what we do an episode on so uh yeah consider heading over there and uh, you get to tell us what show we make so this episode is mother teresa and uh i'll be honest with you i've been wanting to do this for a long time so i'm glad it got voted for yeah i feel like this one's got similar vibes to gandhi hasn't it everyone just assumes that they're really good people and then it turns out at some point they've done something horrendous Absolutely. It, yeah, basically, if you've listened to Gandhi, this is basically, this is just the Gandhi episode again, but with Mother Teresa, someone who you nice. think is an absolute angel, but has a bit of a dark side. Um, and I really enjoy it. So without further ado, let's do one of my classic intros now. As many of our listeners know by now, James and I used to work at the London Dungeon. It was a place where you would learn about London's dark and horrible history, albeit not 100% accurate. Regardless, the characters we played there were a funny old bunch. They were a little rough around the edges, some might even call them rude. And we as actors got the opportunity to be cheeky with the customers who came. We might mock them if they told us where they were from. If they were being too slow, we might hurry them along with some encouraging words. And God forbid you left your door open, or you might get Mrs Lovett shouting at you asking you if you were born in a barn. It was all fun and games, and customers generally knew that coming in. Now, you might be wondering why I'm bringing this up when we're about to talk about Mother Teresa. My point is that to play these characters and work in this place, you need a bit of roughness to you, in my humble opinion. It was all good playing these parts, but the best ones were the people who were, in some ways, already like that. Sarcastic, blunt, honest. The kind of people you'd start a podcast with. It's looking at you, JK. Yeah, so I have a funny story about this. So I think... In the dungeons, you'd call people like maggots and peasants and things, and it was honestly really freeing. However, sometimes I'd forget that I'd also left work, and I remember once after work being really hungry, and there was a McDonald's on South Bank. Um, I think it's gone now, but I went there because I was really hungry to get some food, and McDonald's in London is just a barren wasteland. It's the Wild West. There's no queues. People just fucking go for it. And these people were just standing in my way, and I was like, I want to go home. I'm really hungry. So I just walked up to them and I was like, move peasants. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm out in public and I've just called a bunch of people peasants. But I think it was so audacious. They didn't say anything and they just moved. I love that. I doubt they've ever been called peasants before. I felt horrendous. I got my food and left quickly, but that's a funny little anecdote for you. They probably thought you were Jacob Rees-Mogg's son or something. Yeah, probably. Hopefully they were tourists and didn't understand me because if I got called a peasant, I'd be horrified. Yeah. Oh, I enjoy that. that. Honestly, that's one of the things that, like, that's what you and me sort of bonded over briefly at Dungeon, where it's just we were both so fucking blunt and sarcastic and we hated it. <laughs> I would actively call people out in the groups and, like, pick on their flaws and make them feel awful about themselves. And they'd be like, this is so funny. <laughs> I'm being so serious with you. And it's I'm... like, you think I'm joking. I remember we'd, like, come into the change rooms at, like, the end of a shift and be like, this is fucking bullshit, innit? <laughs> It's horrible. I remember it was when we were there during the World Cup. Um, Germany got oh, knocked that... out in the group stage, and I, I'd be watching the football while doing the shows. <laughs> yes, I can so. say that now. And I watched Germany get knocked out, and a German school group came through, and they clearly I didn't know the score because they hadn't been on their phone for like forty minutes. So I was like, "You've been knocked out of the World Cup, guys. Just let them know <laughs> there and then." Oh, <laughs> uh, do you know what? That is honestly, like you say. One of the best things about working there was how free it was to just how freeing it was to just talk to people like that. Sometimes it was almost like you know if you've been to a Karen's diner or aware of it, it's yeah, all, yeah, and that yeah. similar sort of vibe where you can be yeah. cheeky with them. Um, and tourists yeah. are idiots as well. You can say anything to a tourist and they'll just lap it up. Oh yeah, they think you just it's a show. Like it's all part of the show, and you're like, nah, you're just annoying. Mm. <laughs> anyway, 
Whilst working there, and I'm not going to name any names, so don't ask, there was this one person who was very nice. Too nice, in fact. She was always overly happy on shifts, never complained about anything or had a bird, bad word to say about anyone. And she'd bring in presents for someone, even if it like for their birthday, like even if she didn't really know who how know them that well. Um and even one day brought in like donuts for the whole team. And do you know what? Do it I fucking, sorry, do I know this person? I don't think you do. They started a long time after you. No, oh, that's a shame. No. Um and, and this is the thing. These are all nice things, but it fucking irritated me to the core. Like, I could not stand that. Nobody yeah. is that nice without a reason. And I spent ages trying to figure out what her angle was. Was What was she gaining by being this nice? There had to be something about her. And I found out what it was. She was a vegan. Now, I just, of course... She was a vegan, but that wasn't a problem. I never fa- I never found out what her angle was in the end. She might not have even had one. But the point is, there was something about that innate goodness that I just did not trust. And that's what led me to looking up more on Mother Teresa as a younger man. There we go. We're coming full circle. There's a good link. I completely get where you're coming from, though. I'm so suspicious of people that are completely nice. Like, be a good oh. person, but like have a dark side to you as well, because it's funny. Yeah, absolutely. Like, no one is just that nice. Like, I don't know if you how well you know the series Friends, but there's yeah, an yeah. episode where um, Phoebe is like, I think she has a dare or like some sort of uh, bet with um, Joey that there is no such thing as a good deed. Like every single deed you do because it benefits you in some way. And um, there would be like, you'd be like, you do something and be like, well, how did that make you feel though? And they'll go, well, it made me feel good. And you're like, right. So you haven't like, do you know what I mean? There's always a, there's always a something. You, yeah. uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you get something out of it at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now in the UK, if someone's being too pious or appearing to be better than someone else, we will likely go to the old phrase of, all right, Mother Teresa. Now we don't mean it in a nice way either. It means you're being a pretentious patronizing twat and you need to calm yourself down. Now, I always wondered why we said that. I'd always heard that she was a wonderful person who only did good by the poor and needy. So why would we use her name as a bad thing to call someone out? Well, we're going to get into it. So without further ado, let's talk about Mother Teresa. And I think we all know really where this is going. (laughs) We all know what we're in for here. Now, this is a tricky name, but Mother Teresa was born... Agnes Gunje Boyaju, which is an Albanian name, and I think I nailed that. <laughs> Her heritage is an interesting one at that. She's born in 1910 in a place called Skopje, which is now in North Macedonia, but at the time was part of the Ottoman Empire. Her parents were both ethnically Albanian, although officially the country did not exist at that point. It was still a part of the Ottoman Empire until 1912. The Balkans, during the 20th century, was a wild time where nations were being created left, right and centre. And because of this, Mother Teresa would at one time or another have been a citizen of five different nations or empires in her lifetime. And that's only including her nationalities of the Balkan states. So she would go on to have others later in life, and we'll, we'll talk about those. But she was at one point or other an Ottoman subject, a Serbian subject, a Bulgarian subject, and a Yugoslavian subject. And, and I mean, that, in I, terms of like, who could you play for if she was a footballer? She's got so many options. And <laughs> um, what's funny as well, that's all before she's twenty years old. Jesus Christ, that area of the world was wild, wasn't it? I mean, it still was up until what was it, the nineties or the early two thousands? Bro, I mean, the Balkans are the reason for the first world war in, in, yeah, isn't in it now even even nowadays like some places just don't recognize kosovo as a country or is it yeah. Kosovo or something yeah big big um big controversy whenever the um uh albanian swiss players um uh Yerden shakiri and um yeah 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 granite shaka uh they do yeah, their um, they could play for kosovo yeah, that's it yeah and they do their like eagle celebration with their hands and everyone's yeah, like yeah, yeah. Ah, what are you doing yeah now Let's get into her early life. So I mentioned that she was born in 1910. Now, to be specific, she was born August the 26th, 1910. Now, although Agnes would argue differently, her family had her baptised the day after she was born, and Agnes decided that her actual birth date did not count. It was the next day when she was baptised into the Roman Catholic faith. And this is a really good indicator of the type of person we're going to be covering today. 
she and I would likely not get on. Your birthday was on the 26th, Anya's, not the day you were baptised. Fuck off. Yeah. She was the youngest of three children born to her parents. She had a brother and a sister older than her. Her father was Nicolas Boyajou, a businessman who part-owned a construction company and a wholesale food company. And they were pretty well off considering his construction company built the only theatre in Agnes' hometown of Skopje and he financed a railway to be built between Skopje and his hometown of Kosovo, which you just mentioned. Hmm. Her mother was Dranja Boyaju, and as is typical with women in history, that's about as much as we know about her. She was married to Nicola and was the mother of Agnes. Uh, she likely had Italian heritage. It's thought that her family were landowners with estates in their portfolio and she was the pious one of the two parents because she'd often be seen uh, helping others out around the local area and um, counting her rosary beads. Um, again, I mention it. like it's, it's a shame that we don't know a lot about women in history. There's just not that much on them. But, no, there were subjects, weren't there? Do you know why people count them beads? Do you see them like popping them rosary beads out their fingers and stuff. You seen Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. In a in a time of crisis, I've seen them do it. I don't know why do they do it. Um it's uh they it's them counting prayers. It's how they get through their prayers. Like they've done, I've done that one, next one, done that one, next one. That's what they're doing. They're counting prayers. Oh. I suppose yeah. it keeps you on track, doesn't it? You don't want to lose track and have to go back to the start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, it seems that Agnes's childhood started out really good. Most accounts describe it as quote comfortable. They lived in a big house where they often had visitors. Her father was involved in Albanian politics, not officially, since one, it didn't exist yet as a nation, and two, he wasn't a politician, but he was very interested in it. So he had friends that were pushing for Albanian independence, and he was, you know, somewhat a part of that. In fact, in 1912, when Albania gained its independence, the house was so full of guests all celebrating, Agnes's older brother, who was four at the time, vividly recalls seeing a mountain of empty matchboxes because there were so many people in there all smoking all night long. So it's a busy household. You know, lots of people come there. It's a really nice place to be, you know, welcoming open door thing. Now, whenever Agnes's father went off on business for a few days, he always made sure to leave his wife with enough money to not just cover the household, but also for any strays that his wife brought in. She was, like I say, she's the pious one and she likes to help a lot of people out. So she's constantly been like, oh, if you're not going anywhere to stay tonight, come stay at mine, I'll feed you. And I imagine like the husband's just like, oh, for fuck's sake, Drania, come on, like, can't keep yeah, feeding yeah. everyone. <laughs> now, whilst her father was known to be a very kind man who wanted his children to be caring people, it was her mother who really inspired her. Her mother would often take them to mass every single morning and then they would spend her days delivering food and parcels to the poor. And Agnes would always follow her mother and began to develop a love for her Catholic religion. She was a little bit of a square, though. Her brother recalls that he'd often be sneaking into the kitchen of a night for snacks, and he'd always be caught by Agnes, who would reprimand him. Ugh. That would wind me up. I'd give her a smack. I'm like, if I'm coming down for food, I'm coming down for food. <laughs> Do you know what? I love a bowl of cereal late at night. Oh. Cereal tastes better when it's not at breakfast. Oh, 100%. Cereal's better as a dessert. I often will just go down at like 11 o'clock at night and just get like a bowl of cereal and it's just cold yeah. milk and it's nice. If my sisters, yeah. little sisters, were to come down and be like, uh, you shouldn't be doing that, I'm like, oh, get fucked. <laughs> yeah, well, Hitler shouldn't have invaded Czechoslovakia, but he did. So, <laughs> But he did. <laughs> that was a peep show quote for anyone that's just wondering why I've just randomly brought up Hitler. It was a pop culture reference, not a Hitler <laughs> reference. I need to stop mentioning Hitler because I got banned off Facebook recently for doing that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you mention the Nazis way too often. There are yeah. no Nazis in this story, I think. Oh, well, let's just call it a day now then. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> now, this comfortable life would all come crashing down when in 1918, when Agnes was just eight years old, her father came back from a business trip incredibly sick. It's thought that he was poisoned by Serbians over his political views of a greater Albania. Sadly, he didn't make it. For the grieving family, things got harder when the partners of the business their father, Pa, owned had decided that they wanted nothing more to do with the family without the man that made it all happen. The business allowed the family to keep their home, but they lost all their income virtually overnight. Things would pick up partially when they started to sell handcrafted embroidery and textiles. It kept them going, but they were effectively poor now. 
But this did not stop Agnes's mum from doing the good work, putting clothes on the backs of those that couldn't afford it and feeding those that had nothing. Now, there was a moment when Agnes, um, like, as, a, as, a, as an aside, like there's one story that Agnes remembers vividly as a kid and it's going to um, this alcoholic lady's home and helping bathe her, clothe her and just sort of, you know, give her a bit of care. Um, mm. Which is quite nice. It's a nice story, you know, doing something good for other people. Um, religion became a very central figure for Agnes. She was hooked and at the age of 12 had decided that this was going to be her calling to help others in the name of the Lord. Now, pilgrimage was an important part of her life. The family often travelled to the mountainous region of Montenegro to gawk a picture of the Virgin Mary. It's thought that this pilgrimage would benefit Agnes. See, she was born with a club foot, had malaria and whooping cough. And so she was a sickly child. Now, it's not known if that picture actually cured any of this, but they kept going every fucking year. Um, I would say it is known. The picture did not cure this. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that too. <laughs> yeah, because if the picture cured things, we would not need medicine. We would simply all go and look at the picture. Google Images would be the new hospital. Mm. Now, by the time she was 18, she decided she was going to become a nun. She'd heard tales of missionaries in India doing the Lord's work and she wanted in. She discovered the Sisters of Loreto, a nunnery in Ireland, that had missions in India. In 1928, Agnes made a beeline for Ireland where she would learn English and be trained in the nunnery ways. She would never see her family again. It's also here that she would take a new name, Mary Teresa. Mary for obvious reasons, um, Virgin Mary, blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. Teresa after a French nun called Saint Teresa, the patron saint of missionaries. Um, however, her name was like the French version, so it'd be like Therese or whatever it is. Um, yeah. We've learned from my uh, Joan of Arc episodes, I'm not allowed to do a French accent. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, there was another nun who had the name Therese, um, so she took the Spanish version, which is Teresa, and that's where you get oh, okay. Mary Teresa. Mm. Now, by 1931, Mary was in Calcutta, India, where she began her official training as a nun. Now, I'm sure that the training and acceptance levels of being a nun were a lot lower back then. But for reference, in today's world, whilst many have their own rules and regulations, to become a Catholic nun, you need to be over the age of 18, have no dependencies like kids and have no debts. They must go through a process called discernment which means that they need to spend time visiting convents, speaking with nuns, attending retreats and praying. This can typically take around two years to complete. And I think the idea of this is to kind of weed out those that can't hack it. Mm, like military. Yeah, yeah. Well, so obviously nunnery is taking quite a lot of uh, women, um, you know, to protect them from like abusive families and things like that. And I can imagine there are a lot of women that, think oh okay this this is a comfortable safe space i'll stay here i'll just become a nun and then i think once their life starts to pick up and maybe improve or another family member comes to help out then they decide oh you know i want to i want to want to get out of dodge yeah. um i think that's kind of you know weed them out now once they pass this they get to choose the order that they want to join they then have to spend the next few weeks with that order by that time the other nuns in the order decide if it's a good fit once they're in they become a novice nun and spend the next two years learning, reading the Bible, praying and doing household chores before they can take their first vows. After another three years, they can take their final vows and become a professional nun. It's actually quite intense. Like, it's, it's long. It really is, yeah. It's a long old process. You can't just be a nun. Now, nuns dedicate their lives to poverty, celibacy and servitude. They make no money, they live on what they're given, and above all, they serve God. Teresa would take her first vows in 1931. In Calcutta, she taught at an all-girls high school. And by 1937, Mary Teresa would take her final vows and become a bona fide nun, taking on the title of mother as, her elder, as an elder in the sisterhood. So, Mother Teresa, as we know her, is here. She is born. Yeah, I like the idea that mother wasn't just a thing that people gave her. She chose mother. Yeah, of course. <laughs> now, the thing with nuns is they're a bit boring on a day-to-day. -day. I'm sure some of them maybe have a sense of humour and a bit of a personality if you met one. But 
when I mean by like boring, I mean as in they spend all day on their convent doing chores, praying, doing some form of menial work, and their life is very regimented and strict, and they do it all every day. Like I get it, their life is not one for themselves to indulge in sinful acts or enjoy materialistic things. It's all about servitude to God, but still, it's quite it's quite boring. That's why they have to weed out the people that can't hack it. Yeah, I watched a video when doing research for this of like an 18-year-old girl who no, she can't, no, I'm sorry, that's a lie. She can't be 18. I don't actually know how old she was. She just graduated university, so she's got to be like what minimum 23. Yeah. And she graduated university and then the next week she was in her convent. And you think, what was the point in going to university? I I don't know if that's fair to say, but, you know. Just live her best life, live her uni life. Yeah, what do you mean? Like have one one last blowout before? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Drink, drugs, rock and roll, a lot of sex. (laughs) And then become a nun. Can you imagine? And do you know what's weird as well? So you saw her at a graduation. She's like got long uh, red hair. Um, and then you see her the next week and she's in a nun outfit. And you're like, girl, you look like 38. Mm. It's weird how that changes you. Yeah. Anyway, and you might be wondering why I've just slated nuns and said they're boring. And the reason why is because that was 1937 we last saw Mother Teresa. And we're going to skip forward a few years because, you know, just teaching at an all girls school for Mother Teresa is a bit boring. So, let's skip a few years to 1944. What's happening in 1944, James? That's World War II, which the Nazis are involved. So, the Nazis are involved. However, we're in India, so the Nazis are not involved here. Maybe not. It's the Japanese. Oh. Yeah, land of the rising sun. They are here. They're in India. And Mother Teresa enlisted as an infantry soldier in the Calcutta Frontal Force. She didn't. I'm just making sure that all the audience is keeping on their toes because it's quite I boring. thought this story was really going to go somewhere then, but wow. <laughs> it's like that ending. Of, have you seen the last Twilight film? No, I don't think I've only... I've only seen one. Well, okay, you need to get on that, but like, there's this whole battle at the end and it's a really cool battle to be fair and then it just didn't fucking happen and in the books it didn't happen, but they put it in the film just to try and keep people interested. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mad. I like that. I like that. That's like saving Private Ryan, isn't it? The, the D-Day <laughs> yeah, bits just to keep everyone saving engaged. Private Ryan are the same thing. <laughs> now, Mother Teresa was relatively lucky during the Second World War. Being in Calcutta, it was a pretty dangerous area, right? It's a really dangerous position to be in on the uh, eastern side of India, the northeast, near like the, the Bengal region, I think, if that's right. Um The war had come to India when Japan decided it wanted Asia to be united under one banner and went all kaiju on the continent. They managed to bomb Calcutta quite severely, killing thousands. And there was the famine in Bengal, which, as um, you know, from our Gandhi episode, killed an estimated three million people. Although, to be fair, I've I've written in the script that it it was in the Gandhi episode. I think it's the Winston Churchill episode. It's it's the Churchill episode. It is, isn't it? yeah, because he was blamed for it. He is blamed for it, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the uh, Bengal famine happened around that time and she managed to dodge that as well. Uh, Mother Teresa was left unscathed in her convent but was walking around Calcutta seeing the death and poor living standards and wondered if she could do more to help. By 1946, she had a, quote, call within a call. She wanted to be amongst the poorest people and help them. She took basic medical training and replaced her traditional nun outfit for a basic white sari with a blue border, the classic image we all know her for. In 1948, she became an Indian citizen and started her missionary work. She had a small group join her as they went around helping whoever they could. And it wasn't easy. Despite a nun's life being one of no salary, it at least comes with a roof over your head and food in your belly. Out on her own, though, she had none of these things. So she thought that she'd know she, she she thought she knew what it was to give everything up joining the nunnery but really she had no idea until now she was even tempted to give it up she said of it quote today i learned a good lesson the poverty of the poor must be so hard for them while looking for a home i walked and walked till my arms and legs ached i thought how much they must ache in body and soul looking for a home food and health then the comfort of loretto her former congregation came to tempt me You have only to say the word and all that will be yours again, the tempter kept on saying. 
of free choice, my God, and out of love for you, I desire to remain and do whatever be your holy will in my regard. I did not let a single tear come. Just, yeah, it's just the love of Jesus got her through. It's just a lot of mumbo jumbo to me. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just one of those. She had a bit of a doubt and then she decided just to power on. So, as I say, she powered on through and by 1950 was given permission by the Vatican to open up the Missionaries of Charity, which would, in her words, care for, quote, the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the crippled, the blind, the lepers, and all those people who feel unwanted, unloved, uncared for throughout society. People that have become a burden to the society and are shunned by everyone. It's all very noble, I think. Well, it's, it's good quite intentions. Nice. It's absolutely 100%. good intentions. Yeah, um, Speaking of the Vatican, I, uh, if I'm going to plug it this episode as well, I will be going in November and it will be part of the little documentary I'll be doing on Patreon. So that's a little yep. plug. James K, our man in Italy. Exactly. We are calling it that, by the way. <laughs> For sure. Just Amazon's going to fucking come at us with their lawyers, but it's fine. Do you know what? Amazon can fucking suck a dick. I'm gonna I'm gonna take their post there and I'm gonna just put your face on James Mays. <laughs> <laughs> it's free advertising. To stop this going on to become a list of dates and events, I'll say that over the next two decades, Mother Teresa would go on to open hundreds of clinics, safe havens and hospices. She took in orphans, cared for those with debilitating diseases for the time, like HIV and leprosy. She even opened a house for the dying a place where those close to death with no family or home could have a bed surrounded by nuns and be given a dignified end. It is claimed that she opened the doors to people of all faiths and respected their beliefs. Muslims were read the Quran, Hindus received water from the Ganges and Catholics were given their last rites. She said of it, quote, A beautiful death is for people who live like animals to die like angels, loved and wanted. That sounds, that's quite nice. I'm yeah. not against anything that she's doing. Yeah, yeah. Although, I it's don't know if you've nice. ever seen... Have you ever seen An Idiot Abroad? I have, yeah, I loved it. Have you seen when he goes to India and he, he has he goes in the Ganges and he's like... The Ganges, sorry. He goes in the Ganges. like, this is disgusting because they're, they're oh, just the dumping river. dead bodies. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. People are washing themselves and there's bodies flowing past them. It's vile, but it's also a sacred river. Um, mm. And it's, it's yeah. a, a bit of a dump. Uh, oh, God, that's awful. I shouldn't say that. No, no, no. In in terms of like religion and things, it's it's very sacred. But in terms of health and safety, it's an absolute nightmare. That's awful. It's like saying the Thames is sacred. We should drink from it. You're like, no. Yeah, don't. Just in fact, I think a general rule of thumb for everyone: don't drink from rivers. Yes, they even say even swimming in the Thames is a bad idea. Yeah, if if the water's brown, get out. <laughs> If it's, even if it's I... crystal clear blue, still don't drink it. Yeah. Now, by the 80s, Mother Teresa was attracting hundreds of recruits and donations. This allowed her to open places not just in India, but all over the world. There were hospices and orphanages and leper houses in Asia, Central America, the USA and Europe. A lot of these places were in poor countries, but many are in war-torn places. Now, having established herself in India and making a name for herself on the international stage for seemingly good work, she was touring the world, helping out wherever she could. And remember, this was the dream as a little girl, to go around the world doing the Lord's work. She once said, quote, By blood, I am Albanian. By citizenship, an Indian. By faith, I am a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the world. As to my heart... I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. It's one of them, it's isn't like, it? I've said it once before and I'll say it again, that if religion makes you a better person, power to you. Yeah. And in this instance, so far, it sounds like it is. I I just I just love the idea of, you know, Mother Teresa just having a T-shirt that, you know... In fact, you're going to see it. So the artwork for this episode is, one of, I think, one of my favourite things I've ever done. And it's... Of Mother Teresa wearing a T-shirt saying "Property of Jesus Christ," <laughs> um, but you know, like them partners, like them, them, them relationships where like the girlfriend's really insecure, so she makes her boyfriend wear a T-shirt saying like "Property of Jasmine." <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> she belongs to Jesus. Yeah. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, as to my calling, I belong to the world. But the world didn't always want her. During the 70s, Ireland was going through what we call the Troubles. Now, I won't get into it properly because it's hundreds of years in the making and primarily our fault. But one thing that was evident was that Irish Catholics and Irish Protestants absolutely fucking hated each other. Now, this is not the sole reason for the violence. I want to make that clear, but it is there and it's a big part of it. There were car bombings on the streets. British soldiers were wandering around schools with rifles in hands checking for terrorists. It was a terrible time. And Mother Teresa, being a staunch Catholic and having had an affiliation to Ireland, having lived there briefly, headed back to care for the sick and wounded, also noting that the living conditions there were subpar. Now, to the Catholic hierarchy, this was a moment of embarrassment. One father of the church said, quote, Missionaries were sent by us to other countries. We didn't need missionaries coming here. There was a perception that they brought shame on us because their presence suggested we couldn't deal with our own problems. It's a bit, you know... If you need help, you need help. Exactly, and what was happening right? in Ireland was fucking awful. And it, yeah. it, it wasn't just located in Ireland as well. It, it sort of branched out. We had loads of um, bombings in Birmingham. Yeah, uh, yeah. Birmingham, from, from Manchester and, and Brighton. Like Brighton yeah. as well, I think, got one. It was yeah, they needed to, and in Northern Ireland now there is still a wall, like there is the wall still exists and it still opens and closes. Mm. Mm. Uh, fair to say, Mother Teresa's missionaries left very soon after that statement. Uh, they left uh, a year and a half after they actually came to Ireland. In fact, it said that um, Mother Teresa came out and was like, when speaking to one of these father priests or whatever, saying, "Look, look." We're wanted by fucking everyone around the world. If you don't want us here, we'll just fuck off. We're not going to stay somewhere we're not wanted. Fair enough. Yep. She'd go on to other countries like Beirut when she rescued 37 children from a hospital accompanied by the Red Cross during the siege of Beirut. She attempted to set up shop in communist countries that were predominantly atheist states. And she helped the hungry in Ethiopia and also visited uh, radiation victims in Chernobyl and earthquake victims in Armenia. She's doing some bits. Yeah, she's getting around. She was world famous for her work and was making millions of dollars in donations from wealthy benefactors and nation states. We will discuss the money later. Hmm. The world wanted to recognise her work. In 1979, she received the Nobel Peace Prize for her work for bringing help to suffering humanity. She would receive $192,000 alongside her award that's in 1979 money that's a lot yeah 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 absolutely and it wasn't the only award she received here's just a small list and 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 it doesn't look like one because you can see it james it's quite a long list but it's actually a short list compared to stuff she's won the ramon magsaysay -Say award for peace and international understanding the Padma Shri, the Jawaharlal Nehru Award for International Understanding, Pope John XXIII Peace Prize, the Templeton Prize, Albert Schweitzer Prize, Packham Interis Award, the Balzan Prize for Humanity, Peace and Fraternity Among Peoples, the Patronal Medal and the Order of Merit from the UK. I cannot, like, I don't know if you know, the Order of Merit, I looked this up, is one of the, they, they call it one of the most prestigious elite clubs in the world. There are only ever 24 members at one time. That's mad. How, how do I get this? Yeah, how do you get this? You have to be, you have to be um, uh, brought in by the reigning monarch. And they're all English people. There is literally like an exception for like foreign people, but there can only be ever be like one or two. There's not many. 
Uh, it's very, very high up. That's In fact, uh, Sir David Atbright is one of them now. Oh, is he? Oh, good. What I want to join that club. What an elite club. Yeah. Now, you get the picture, right? India handed out most awards for her work. They were very... They were a big fans of her. Then the world started dishing them out like sweets as well. Now, what's interesting is how many nations handed out their awards. Why would they do that? The UK, for example. Mother Teresa's not a UK citizen. Why would they give her an order of merit? And I think the answer is all about aesthetics. It looks good for a nation to be venerating such a famous figure of peace. The UK had only just wrapped up its war in the Falklands and was still an active presence in Ireland during the Falklands that inspired Mother Teresa to go over. You could argue that if the troubles weren't going on, she wouldn't even have any reason to go back there. So it seems ironic to take an award from a nation that is actively fighting Catholics in Ireland. And again, I just want to point out it's not about religion, but it's a heavy factor in it, okay? But do, do, do you like, see the irony that like she went back to... The, she went back to Ireland to help out in the troubles and then took an award from the nation that is arguably the cause of it. That, that is a bit sus, isn't it? Yeah. The, the USA got in on it too. In 1985, President Reagan awarded Mother Teresa with a Presidential Medal of Freedom and an honorary US citizenship, adding to the list of other citizenries. But while Reagan was shumming off Mother Teresa and talking about peace... The US was giving arms to Iran and funneling money into Nicaragua to support the Contras who were fighting the left-leaning Sandinistas. And the Contras were receiving millions of dollars from the US who were then using it to fund their cocaine operation, who were then selling cocaine back to Americans, which was destroying American lives. So the US is almost indirectly, or directly, however you want to see it, funding a cocaine empire that is ruining their own citizens lives and mother Teresa then takes you know this amazing <laughs> award from president reagan and talks about peace <laughs> yeah it's all for show isn't it i'd like especially countries like america the uk western countries like we're yeah. not about peace war is very profitable mm, very profitable it's, it's funny isn't it how we, we we go on about how like um you know, talk about uh, Jordan Henderson going off to Saudi Arabia and you're like, oh, he's just gone for the money. He's got no morals, blah, blah, blah. And then like, we're arguing about Jordan Henderson, yet our nation sells arms to Saudi Arabia, who then in turn is fighting many things. (laughs) Yeah, we just try and shift the focus elsewhere. Yeah. She then received the Haitian Legion of Honor from the Duvaliers in Haiti, a dictatorial regime that had murdered hundreds of thousands and caused mass starvation of its poorest people. And Mother Teresa accepted an award from these people and said of them, quote, never seen the poor people being so familiar with their head of state as they were with her. It was a beautiful lesson for me. And she's referring to her, she's referring to Duvalier's wife who personally gave the award to her, but she received the, the award on behalf of the Duvalier family. And you're like, no wonder the fucking poor people are so familiar with their head of state. The head of state's literally killing them. Yeah, they have to be. Be familiar or die. Yeah, and she yet receives an award from them. Now, it all seems a bit hypocritical, accepting awards from states that have blood on their own hands and arguably create the scenarios that keep Mother Teresa so busy. Now, you might argue that it doesn't matter about the awards, the recognition is the thing that counts, and the money they supply is what's good for the cause. Well, let's take a look at that money, shall we? Where is it going? Now, while publicly she would say that all the money donated would go to her charities, and it seems to be that for the most part it maybe did, privately there seems to be some discrepancies. At the time of her death, it was estimated that her charities were worth hundreds of millions of dollars, an amount that any business today would be proud of. So, with all that money... You would expect that the facilities ran by Mother Teresa and her group would be great. But they weren't. A paper written by Canadian professors at the University of Ottawa found that the conditions found in the hospices, homes for the dying and other medical facilities ran by Mother Teresa were in an unfit condition. Two thirds of the people come into these places expected to find a doctor, but they did not find the doctor. What they found would be a nun who had very basic first aid skills. 
One volunteer working at one of Teresa's home for the dying in Calcutta described it as being like Belson, referring to the <laughs> Nazi concentration camp. The Nazis got involved. Yeah, we're here. yeah that's, we should, probably shouldn't cheer after the words Nazi concentration camp. Oh, we need, we've got like Nazi bingo. If everyone's playing at home, <laughs> we can't, yeah, we've how, done how many times have they mentioned the Nazis? Nazi bingo. If you've got a straight line, you win. She described seeing people with their heads shaved. They were malnourished. They lay on the stretcher beds on the floor completely still as they slowly died. There was not near enough medical equipment for the amount of people they had in there. The hygiene was non-existent. The volunteer recalled seeing nuns reuse needles several times and only wash them with cold water after, after use. And when the volunteer asked why they were rinsing it under cold water and not sterilising them, the nun replied, quote, there's no point, there's no time. Yikes. Yikes. And that's what I'm saying. These nuns had very basic first aid skills. They are not qualified in any way, shape or form to do any of this medical stuff. Well, this is the downfall of religion, isn't it? Because they'll believe that God will ultimately decide the fate of the person. And that's just grossly unfair to the person who's dying we will talk about that but arguably one of the worst things seen in these homes of the dying was the lack of pain relief most of these people lay there in agony slowly dying and were not met with any kind of pain relief to ease their suffering and that unfortunately was the whole fucking point mother Teresa believed that the poor people who came to her with the hope of receiving aid had to suffer like christ did on the cross Many people died in those places over minor ailments that with routine medical care would have survived. <laughs> when questioned about these methods, she replied with, quote, There is something beautiful in seeing the poor accept their lot. To suffer it like Christ's passion, the world gains much from their suffering. Oh, fuck off, Mother Teresa. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not looking good for her, is it now? No, what a... Oh, like... It's so annoying because the intentions, I gen I think her intentions are still honourable. She still thinks that she's helping. But just use that money to get medical professionals to help these people. And if they are dying, don't let them die in pain because some random fucking carpenter did 2,000 years ago. And let's be honest, he didn't die, did he? He went away for a weekend and then he came back. These poor people aren't coming back. Yeah, that's spot on. Yeah, he had a big summer blowout of the weekend before he went back to Dad's house. Yeah. He, he was hungover. That, that last <laughs> fucking supper, they were passing wine around like it was going out of business. <laughs> Are you saying that Christ on the cross was basically just a detox? Exactly. He needed it. He was just, and then, he was so hungover, he passed out on the cross. I thought, oh, fucking hell, he's died. Oh, my God. That's fantastic. <laughs> and then he just wakes up in some cave and he's like, uh, hello. Yeah, it's like you say, like her 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 intentions, as as well as she may mean, is the fact that she wants them to suffer because Christ suffered, so they should suffer like him. You're like fuck off. All they want is some help. Yeah, no one like no one asked Jesus to do what he did. Not no. one person. He just went and no. did it. So. If the point was for these people to suffer in the hope that they would become closer to God, what did all the money go toward? Well, nobody really knows. There's no accounting for what they did with the money once they received it, although it is thought that the majority of it sits in the coffers of the Vatican. Maybe, James, when you go there, you can uh, have a look for us. Well, this now, is the thing. The Vatican's got so many secret vaults that even like the Pope isn't allowed in. So yeah. who's allowed in it? It's it's wild, isn't it? Like the fact that it's got secret revolts are just shit in it. Like apparently it's got stuff like Jesus's shit in it. And you're like, oh, you haven't. If you have, show it, because then it would help. But then the whole point is, you're I, not supposed oh, to prove it. You're supposed to have faith in it. I would love free reign of the Vatican just mm. to go and like really. Oh, it would be so. There must be some interesting stuff in there, even for non-religious people. Just artifacts. I but no am, one can see it. I'm jealous of the Italians that survive the, the, the absolute human wasteland apocalypse. Then they get to just wander around a vacuum because no one's left. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, the, there must be some cool stuff in there. But yeah, we're just presented oh, yeah. with the, the Renaissance art, which is still nice. Still nice. Now, remember, at the end of the day, Mother Teresa was just a nun for the Catholic Church. That's her first priority. It was never for her 
or her missionaries when they relied on donations. So the money, like, she's getting all this money, but, like, I think it's an interesting way of putting it. It's like, the money's not for her. She's like, well, I'm just, I'm just a nun doing what she thinks is good work, and I'm being given a load of money for it. I'll just give it to the church. That's what she thinks. Because um, hmm. they're, they're all about, you know, living on donations. So I get where that, you know, where the money might not go there, but it's like, use the money for better things, but it's not what she wants. Now, let's introduce a new character into our story. Christopher Hitchens. Are you aware of this man, James? Not at all. Alrighty. Christopher Hitchens was a well-known author, journalist, and one of the most outspoken anti-theists out there. He's in the same circle as Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris. He's an eloquent speaker who doesn't really give a fuck about how you feel about religion. And it's really not often I will hitch my wagon to something on this show, but Hitchens is someone that I look to when it comes to debating theology. I am a massive fan of Christopher Hitchens. Now, in 1994, Hitchens wrote and hosted a documentary on Channel 4 called Hell's Angel. It was a programme that did what we're trying to do here, tell the other side. He exposed many of the hypocrisies about Mother Teresa. He proclaims that Mother Teresa is, quote, not a friend of the poor, she's a friend of poverty. He claims that when given the opportunity to speak with her, she told him that her job was not to rid the world of poverty, but to convert more Catholics. And that's hardly surprising. She is a missionary, and the job of a missionary is to convert people into their faith. Mother Teresa used poverty to her advantage to gain more conversions. And one thing that I think is particularly egregious is the stories of forced conversion. There are reports of Mother Teresa and her nuns forcibly converting people on their deathbeds. Some were even converted without their knowledge while they lay there on the verge of death. Little did they know that a nun had blessed them without their knowledge. Now, as an atheist, it really wouldn't bother me having a nun say a few words over me as I lay there dying. It would be the equivalent to an actor doing the double-double toil-in-trouble witch speech from Macbeth. <laughs> but, for someone who, but for someone who has faith, it's a truly awful thing to do. You could have been a very good religious person all your life and be happy knowing that you're going to your heaven. Then all of a sudden, there's a nun telling you you're now a Catholic. And I imagine that would be a very horrible feeling. Of course. Like, you've spent your entire life dedicated to one religion, and then just before you die, someone takes that away from you. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 weird. And 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 so to just go back, I said a lot there. Um, the fact that she's like, I'm not a fucking social worker. My job is to convert more Catholics. Like, it's annoying I, because she clearly has the means to help actually help people as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then she said it earlier, like a, a little while back. I think she her quote was, um, "The poor have accepted their lot." What, what the mm. fuck is their lot, Teresa? Like mm. to die quietly? Like I don't understand what she, what the angle is. Yeah, to suffer, to just accept that you're dying, accept it, suffer it, like Christ, get on with it. Then, while visiting the house of the dying, Hitchens stood in a room surrounded by cots full of orphaned children. Mother Teresa then said, quote, this is how we fight abortion and contraception in Calcutta. By being like, look at all these orphan children. If everyone else could see all this, that would stop abortions and uh, contraceptions. Sorry, but like, her logic's flawed. If I saw a room yeah. full of orphans, I'd be like, we, abortions could have stopped this room full of orphans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you may be unsurprised to hear that Mother Teresa was very anti-abortion. She saw it as one of the worst things in the world. In fact, at her acceptance speech for her Nobel Peace Prize, remember, she won the Nobel Peace Prize, at her acceptance speech, she said of it, quote, the greatest destroyer of peace today is the cry of an innocent unborn child. If a mother can murder her own child in her womb, what is left for you and for me to kill each other? I mean, I fuck just... it. Way to kill a mood. <laughs> you just won an award and you're like, fuck abortions. <laughs> yeah, I just, like... I think it goes without saying that... In fact, I don't think we've ever discussed this, but I imagine we're on the same page that, like, a woman has a right to do whatever she wants with her body. 100%. And if she's not in a place to have a child, even if it's, like, for medical reasons, that's one, or if they're not financially 
suitable if it's just a complete like you do whatever you want mm. i don't think anyone not some fucking woman in a nun's costume saying that poor people deserve to die has any right to tell you that you've destroyed peace because you've had an abortion if anything you have saved a child from a life of fucking misery yeah yeah, what you've done is you've saved a child from sitting in that shitty fucking orphanage where it has a high probability of fucking dying. Yeah, where she's just going to be like, mm, they're going to die soon, but that's okay because they're poor. Fuck and off. I, and I just converted them this morning, so, you know, another one for Jesus. <laughs> yeah, well, but where's the millions and millions of dollars going, Teresa? Yeah, we go. I, I like we're on the same page. Yeah, I mean, by definition, a, a child before it fucking is born is, is, is a parasite. Like the definition I have... Of a, n- I defy anyone to tell me their recollection of being in the womb. <laughs> Mate, I don't even remember being six. No, neither. Like, I think I gained consciousness probably at the age of, like, 21, and even then it's still a bit fuzzy. Mm. Yeah, and they do say that the human uh, the human child doesn't necessarily understand what death is until they're around nine. That's when their brain is able to sort of cognitively understand what death is. So they don't even know what they're doing. So maybe you could do it up to about five. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, we're bad people. <laughs> I'm not condoning child murder. <laughs> <laughs> now, while visiting an island, she said of. Now, while visiting an island, she said to a congregation, "Quote: Let us promise Our Lady who loves Ireland so much that we will never allow in this country a single abortion, and no contraceptives." Oh, I yes. don't understand the beef with contraception. I don't fucking get it. Yeah. I was going to say, did I forget to mention that the presumed virgin is very vocal on how we should all be having sex? <laughs> yeah, I just... Oh, mate, I don't get it. If you want, like, you're looking at a room full of orphans that are going to die, and then you think, hmm, abortions are bad. Well, if you want to stop abortions, let people have contraception, and then yeah. they will not... Oh, it, it, it boils my piss. God will not shun you for wrapping your willy with a bit of latex. Like, it's just not a big deal. Well, we shouldn't be surprised. I've said before, the reasons why Catholics aren't a fan of contraceptives is because sex is a sin and should only be had when trying to procreate. To use a contraceptive would mean that the sex is pointless and therefore a sin because you've done it for the wrong reason. They're just a bunch of virgins. Like that's like They can't get laid, so they're telling everyone else that they can't get laid either. I love that. That's funny. <laughs> Also, like, if we're going to talk about the Catholic Church, there is also the nod to the horrendous crimes against children that go on within the Catholic Church. So they're still fucking horny, evil bastards. Mm. Yeah. Of which the Pope has also covered up. Like, I've got beef with the Pope. I don't care. If he wants to, if he wants to scrap, I'll have it. What's your beef with the Pope? It just, I mean, any person that's the head of an institution that abuses children like it. is not a good person. But he washes the feet of the poor people. Oh, maybe he's got a foot fetish. I don't care. It's just... <laughs> there's no, no, there's no nobility in it. Now, Mother Teresa was always a sickly woman, and it got worse as she aged. What didn't help was living in self-imposed poverty for so long. By the time she was in her 60s, her health was failing her. She had many heart problems, leading to a couple of heart attacks. By 1996, aged 86, she fell and broke her collarbone. While resting, she contracted malaria and her heart failed her. She underwent intensive surgery to save her, something those in her house of the dying were never offered. It's ironic, isn't it? Because she's like, they should suffer like Jesus. But when she had a heart attack, she had all the best medical care. Weirdly, according to the Archbishop of Calcutta, Henry D'Souza, her ill health was caused by the devil. Only the devil could bring down such an eminent woman, neglecting to acknowledge the fact that she was almost 90 years old living in abject poverty for the majority of her life. He demanded that Mother Teresa undergo an exorcism to drive out the demons that are keeping her ill. And funny enough, Mother Teresa fully backed it. An exorcism was performed from her hospital bed. Can you imagine that? Just like, you know, the film is she's just riding around in her bed like it's fucking cool. She recovered and, uh, well, no thanks to medicine. The archbishop said that once the exorcism was finished, he saw an ethereal halo appear above her head as she drifted off to sleep. I'm imagining there was a sunset or something and the light (laughs) was coming through the window in a certain way. That's it. You see what you want to see. Do you know what's funny, actually? Um, 
the BBC once went to one of her homes of the dying and uh, when they were there they had these new fancy Kodak film uh, for their cameras and they're filming in there and it's dark it's dingy it's shit in there right and uh, when they got back and they viewed all the footage they were surprised by how bright the footage actually was and apparently one of the people uh, about the documentary thing was like oh, that is that's proof of mother teresa's ethereal fucking holy light and then the guy was like no it's proof that these kodak fucking films are great <laughs> <laughs> god god bless modern technology god bless <laughs> On the 5th of September, 1997, Mother Teresa died of a cardiac arrest aged 87. Her body was laid in an open casket for a week after her death for people to come and pay their respects. She received a state funeral from the Indian government. The Pope even sent a representative to the funeral. Around 15,000 people attended the service alongside dignitaries from 23 nations. And I did see somewhere that says a million people attended the funeral, but... I'm dubious about that. Now, Mother Teresa is a controversial figure. I don't think it's accurate to say that she did all this because she was a good person. As we've learned over the years of doing this show, there's very rarely such thing as a truly good or bad person. Most just fit into the grey zone. I think Mother Teresa fits into that category. I think it's fair to say that she did everything for herself. She said it herself, quote, as, my, as to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. Everything she did was to impress her boyfriend and get herself into heaven by converting more people into her faith. I believe that she cared for people on some level, but only in so much as it benefited her end game. She would take awards and money from anyone regardless of where it came from. Now, you may say it doesn't matter how you get the money, just that it gets you to the right place. But as we discovered, the money wasn't going to those that needed it the most. There is no doubt that she has left a legacy that you could argue is benefiting the world. There are over 4,000 sisters and 300 brothers operating over 600 missions in 123 countries around the world. At a basic level, they are likely providing some comfort to those that have nothing, and that alone is worth celebrating. Uh, and Mother Teresa is now a saint. She was, mm. um, what's the word, canonised into sainthood. And funny yeah. enough... Uh, you're supposed to have two, as far as the Catholic Church goes. Uh, you need to prove two miracles are performed by someone to make them a saint, right? And it's very heavy on the proof, right? They're very shit hot on the proof. And one of, because uh, I can't remember the other one, one of, um, one of, one of the miracles that uh, Mother Teresa supposedly performed was done after she was dead, right? So apparently oh. a, a woman had a picture of Mother Teresa and she had like brain cancer or something. And just by like looking at the fucking photo every day, her brain cancer disappeared and they attribute that as being a miracle that Mother Teresa cured her brain cancer. Right. And that's legit one of the reasons why, like one of the reasons for making her a saint. And you know what's even funnier is the husband of the woman who had the brain cancer went, this is a load of bollocks, it was the medicine. Yeah, of course. Was she going through like chemotherapy and other things? Like Probably. Credit to the doctors who saved her life. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking dumb, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, Mother Teresa is now a saint, so you, know, you have to call her Saint Mother Teresa of, of, of Calcutta. It's a really annoying story because the building blocks are there for her to do something amazing. Mm. Like It's all there. Um, mm. And she was so close. I do think her intentions were generally honourable in her own mind. But in in the real world, she let poor people just die, which is a no-no. And the fact that her entire endgame did seem to be to convert people as opposed to save and help them. Because that money in the hands of someone else who wasn't guided by their faith would put it to better use mm. and would help people. Um but it's the same old argument as well as like why is Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk whatever why they're not stopping poverty? Is it anyone's responsibility to do that? I don't. That's a, yeah, that's but a the big question. Is, the thing is, they never claim to want to do that. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't have a go at them for not doing it when they haven't said that they're doing it in the first place. Um, no, yeah, whereas you know, like Mother Teresa is like, oh look. But then Mother Teresa said she's uh, said herself she's not a social worker. Her job is to convert people into the Catholic faith. 
yeah, in fairness, she never lied about what she was. Yeah. So maybe it's wrong to have a go at her just because she didn't do what we wanted her to do. Maybe I think we put the idea of her on her. Do you know what I mean? Like we I maybe maybe it's a case of we never just we just never really understood what she actually was and we thought she's mm. just a really good person that wants to care for people. So we gave her lots of money and awards and she's kind of just being like uh thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe the criticism has been unfair. We have bashed the Catholic Church heavy. So if you are Catholic and you've made it to the end, fair play. Like as an individual I'm sure you're a, a nice person, got no beef individually. 100%. We've always said that, haven't we? Look, listen, if religion makes you a better person, fucking go for it. Just don't fucking put it down my throat. Yeah, exactly. It's like a penis. Don't care. Uh, it reminds me of, you know, the Ricky Gervais thing where he's on that show and he's talking to that guy saying that you believe in a God, right? I, but I don't. Uh, yeah. But there's like 2,999 other gods that you don't believe in. I just don't believe in one more than you. Yeah, it's a great argument. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there it is, Mother Teresa. What do you think? It's a interesting story. Like I say, it's just fucking Gandhi, isn't it? Just take the fucking name and change it. It's Mother Teresa, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I hope everyone's found that fascinating and interesting. Listen, um, this episode is brought to you by our patrons over at Patreon. As I mentioned at the beginning, uh, they voted for this to be the next episode. So if you would like to have your say on what episodes we cover, do please consider supporting us there. Um, so... Join us, everybody, on the next episode, which I've no idea what it's about yet. But when we have it, you'll know because it'll be out. But uh, thank you very much for listening, um, and we will see you on the next one. Goodbye. Big thank you to our Patreons, uh, Barbara, Alexander Petrov, Mike Harris, and Lisa Anderson. Thank you so much for your support. It means the world. And again, if you'd like to join us on Patreon, you can head over via our link or check out our website. And it all goes to help improve the show. Thank you very much. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.